0: Amen. Well, first of all, we want to welcome all our first-time visitors. We're so glad that you came to worship with us. And uh, as you walked in, you should have received a bulletin. And in that bulletin we have uh, some church information and we have the sermon notes. And also there's a a connection card. So if you would fill that out and uh, turn it into the information center out in the foyer area, Pastor Terry will be more than happy to drop you a thank-you note. Amen. Did you get enough sleep last night? After that Astros victory. I guess you did because you're here this morning, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Well, I'm so happy to be here this morning. It's always a privilege and an honor to bring the message of the Lord and also to speak on Pastor Terry's behalf. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to uh, conclude with the series on the miracles of Jesus. Have you been enjoying this series on the miracles of Jesus? I tell you, it's a, powerful, it's a powerful series and it's just amazing the testimonies that have come out of this and how God is still healing today, amen. Well, since we believe in miracles, sadly to say, a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't believe in miracles, they don't believe, and sadly, even those in the church don't believe in miracles. Listen, I'm praying for some miracles to happen in my life, in my family. You know, I got some family that are real sick. I'm waiting for God to do his his works. I still believe in miracles. You know why? Because God has not changed. We serve an almighty God. And so a lot of people in the church do not believe that miracles occur today. They say that miracles had ceased during the the time when the apostles pretty much, uh, when they died, they say the, uh, at the miracles have ceased. But I'll tell you this, you will believe in miracles the day you need one. The day you need a miracle, that's when you believe, and only Jesus Christ can make that happen for you. Amen? Amen. A man was walking on a California beach, and he came across an Aladdin lamp, and he rubbed it, and the genie came out. And the genie said, I will grant you one wish, and I will do it. And the man said, oh yeah, I would love to go to Hawaii. But you see, I'm afraid of flying over the ocean. So I want a highway that is built from California all the way to Hawaii. And the genie said, what? That's impossible, do you know what that would take? Do you know how long that would take to do? To pour concrete down uh, the ocean, down those uh, beams and pour concrete and, 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 uh, and the workload? You know what that would take? I'm sorry. That, that would require a miracle. Ask for another wish. And so the man said, well, okay, well, I want to understand my wife. My wife, she cries. She gets mad. And, and I'm trying to figure her out, but I can't. Could you help me to understand her? And the genie said, how do you want that highway? Do you want a two-way lane or a four-way lane? <laughs> Listen, man, God can do a miracle in your life so he can help you understand your wife, amen? <laughs> the Bible says, live with her with understanding so you can understand your wife, amen, praise the Lord. The God of the Bible is the God of miracles. He is a miracle-working God, and he's still doing great works today. You see, we have become so sophisticated that we don't believe that God can do miracles today. You know, we got all this technology, all this medicine. We don't, you know, we sort of shove God aside and say, God, we got this. No, you don't. We need him, and we can do nothing without him. Amen? He is still doing miracles today. Since the beginning of time, God has been doing miracles. He created the heavens and the earth, and they were spoken into existence. He hung billions of diamonds in the the heavens to light up the sky at night. He divided the Red Sea for Moses, and the children of Israel crossed over on dry land. Think about that. It wasn't muddy, it was dry. And they crossed it on the other side, on route to the promised land. He held a son, commanding it to be still for Joshua and for the children of Israel as they defeated their enemies. Moving forward to the New Testament, God sent his son to be born in the womb of a virgin to be the savior of the world. Jesus, who is fully God, put on a coat of flesh to live a life to be like you and I. He had a ministry of miracles For people did not come by the thousands to hear Jesus' teachings, or just because of his teachings. They came to experience God's healing power. And unfortunately, many only followed Jesus for the healings, but many believed that he was the Messiah. Jesus fed the hungry. He healed the lepers, the lame. He healed the blind. He cast out demons. He raised People from the dead, and heal all those who came to him, and not one did he turn away. He healed them all. The Bible says. And Jesus is still doing miracles today. I mean, I look at myself in the mirror and say, "Lord, (laughs) you're doing miracles in my life because I don't know, I don't know how I'm still standing." Jesus is still doing miracles today. He is the great physician. You know what? He never changes and he never charges, amen? He never changes, he is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the great I am, he is the almighty, he is the one that can do what man cannot do, the impossible he can do, because he never changes. Church, give the Lord Jesus a shout of praise in His house because of who he is. Every miracle has a message. And every miracle has a mission. And today I I want to talk about a miracle about a man with a withered arm. So if you would read with me in Luke chapter 6. Verses 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good? or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. This is an account of the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good being the holy and righteous Son of God, Jesus Christ. The bad is the man with the withered hand, he had a bad hand. And the ugly were the self-righteous legalists, hypocrites, the scribes and the Pharisees. I tell you, they hated Jesus with a passion. The historian Jerome said that there is a strong traditional evidence that the man with the paralyzed hand was a stonemason. This man worked hard with his hands. He could have been injured on the job. And of course, this could have a great impact, could have impacted, that is, his income. There were no workmen's comp in those days. There was no government assistant in those days. There was no huge Houston Medical Center in those days. And this also would have affected his family if he was the only breadwinner, if he had a family. He worked with his hands. There were no painkillers, no special surgeons who could make his hand normal again. Think about that, see yourself there in a time and place when none of these things were available. Nothing could alleviate the pain, and I'm pretty sure the pain was felt all through his arm because the Bible says he had a withered hand. Luke, who was a physician, writes in detail. This is what a physician does. He writes in detail uh, because this account is also found in the book of Mark and the gospel of Mark and also in the gospel of Matthew. But Luke here says that it was his right hand. And you know the right hand represents the hand of authority. It represents the hand of power. You see, in those days, the left hand was considered unclean. The right hand was considered pure and powerful. The Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of power. The Bible says that in the last days when God will judge the living and the dead, those who died without Christ, they will be on their what? On the left side. But the righteous will be on the what? On the right side. The right hand is the right hand of power and of authority. So Luke writes this in detail. And I know some of you could be left handed in here, so don't go say, you know, uh, Brother Joe said my hand was unclean, so, you know, okay? It's a spiritual meaning here. (laughs) Don't send Pastor Terry emails. (laughs) Oh, Pastor, you know what Brother Joe said? Don't go avoiding shaking his hand. And notice where you find this man with a paralyzed hand. He's in the house of God. You see, he was there for the right reason. You need to ask yourself this morning, why are you in church today? Are you here for the right reasons? Are you here for the right reasons? He was. You see, he wanted to be restored. He wanted to be close to God. He wanted to have fellowship with him. You see, if a man could not work in those days, guess what he would be doing? He would be a beggar, he would be begging. This man says, you know what? I ain't gonna be no beggar. Me ain't gonna be no beggar. Me gonna go to the house of the Lord. He wants to be restored. So now, he could have been begging out in Times Square, Jerusalem. For the most part, these were people, the beggars that you would see were pretty much paralyzed in some area of their lives, mostly physically. But he was in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. Now, notice in verse 6, it says, On another Sabbath, he entered, meaning Jesus, the synagogue, and he was teaching. Jesus attended synagogue services every Sabbath. And he did not forsake the gathering of God's people. And this is a lesson for us. We should be in the house of the Lord. I know things happen on Sundays, and we all have to do other things, some things... You know, we just can't make it on a Sunday, but there's people who just come to church twice a year. But Jesus here is every, on another Sabbath. Here he is. He's back in the, in the synagogue teaching the word of God. And he did not forsake the gather of God's people. That's why Hebrews chapter 10 says, hey, you know, uh, that we should not neglect the meeting together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another for that day is approaching. And church, let me tell you, that day is approaching. What day? Uh, Jesus is coming back. You see the sign of the times? It's almost here. And what a great place if Jesus would come right now, he'd find us in his house, Amen? amen? Hallelujah. So why be in the church? Because it's a blessing for the children of God to be in the house of God to be in the presence of God, to experience the power of God. The Bible says where two or three are gathering in his name, there he is, what? In the midst of them, he is here. I remember a, a Christian lady asked me one time, we were talking about going to church, and she said, you know, you, and she was a believer, and it surprised what she was telling me. She said, oh, you guys are so fanatic, I went, wait a minute, you guys, are you a believer too? Yes. Well, okay, in general, Christians are so fanatic. got to go to church every Sunday. Yeah. I don't have to go to church every Sunday. I mean, what's the need? I'm a Christian. God knows my heart. I asked her, hey, how, how many children do you have? And she said, I have five adult children. Oh, that's nice. Let me ask you something. So let's say you, you want your children to visit you, right? They don't live with you. So let's say they want to visit you. Would you want them to visit you one at a time? Or rather, would you want them to visit you all together, like say on Thanksgiving. Well, of course, I want them all together. I want them in my presence all together. I want to have fellowship with them. Exactly. You see, God wants His children together on a special day, on the day of the Lord. You see, God wants to see His people so He can fellowship with them. Where two or three are gathering His name, He gets excited when His children come to the house of the Lord. That's why King David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go and do the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you guys are here this morning, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Now, there was another group of people there in the synagogue. Remember, we talked about Jesus, we talked about the wither man, now the ugly. This group was here for the wrong reasons. These religious leaders were watching Jesus closely, who only came to accuse the Lord. Of doing what? Of doing good. Can you imagine that? You're you're doing good and these people are against you? It's unbelievable. And here is the argument, but notice that Jesus never retaliates. Jesus asked the question, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? Have you ever been accused of doing something good? Has anybody snapped at you at any given time for doing something good, a good deed? I mean, you, your intentions were right and all of a sudden, boy, you're hated. I mean, you, you, you want to do good. But you know what? The Lord wants you to do good. You know, my father, uh, many years ago, came from Colombia, South America. He came on a visa to learn English. He wanted a better life for himself and the family. It was a big family. And so he came first. He came and he settled in America and he got a little job on the side. And my father loved to help people. The day at his funeral, by the way, it'll be eight years or so since he died this month a godly man, he loved to help people. I'm like, Dad, really, you gonna help that guy? Yes, yeah, son, we're gonna help him. And he always used to tell us, he said, behave, for it will cost you nothing, but do good and you will reap its rewards. And we saw that in his life. And I've heard so many stories during the uh, funeral service, people that came up saying, you know, your father helped me to do this. Your father gave me his own bed. Your father, I mean, it kept coming. And we saw this growing up. He loved to help people. One time he was, uh, when he was in this couple of years in this country, he struggled with English. You know, it kind of chopped up a little. And uh, one day he was driving with uh, my uncle, his brother. And you know, they're just exploring and they're excited in America. He loved America. He became an American citizen. I mean, he was just excited. He was just a different man. But, he loved to help people. So one day he's driving down this road and there's this, this elderly man waving his hands. Uh, he, he looked like he was in trouble of some sort. His car was parked on the side and so my father figured, well, he probably broke down. And so he pulled right behind him and he got off and the gentleman was in the back of his car and he was explaining, said, look, he was panicky. He was like, look, I, I hit something. I don't know what I hit, but it's in the front of the car. Could you please go see? I think it's an animal. Could you go check? I mean, he was a little hysterical. And my dad called him down, calm down, it's going to be okay. Just calm down. So my dad went to the front of the car, and it was an armadillo. <laughs> he had hit an armadillo. And said so my dad, with his broken English, hey, you know, a animal, you know, and that sort of thing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he realized it was an armadillo. And so the gentleman said, I'll pay you money. Go take him to the vet, please. I'm an animal lover. I don't want him to die. And so my dad said, calm down. I will take care, you know, try to understand him, gentlemen. So finally he helped him get in his car, and he took off. And then my dad and my uncle grabbed the the armadillo and they put it in the car. (sighs) So later that night for dinner. (laughs) The animal didn't make it. It died on the way. And I... (laughs) We sat on the table, and my dad, we got a special treat for you tonight. And he's telling us a story back in Colombia, how they were poor, and then not have all this stuff, blah, 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 dad, you're in America. You know, come on. But he always instilled in that, in us. And would you know, here comes the plate. Armadillo a la carte. <laughs> we didn't realize it until after we ate it. And my dad said "What is, you know, in Spanish, did you enjoy it? We didn't know what it was, but it tasted good. I don't know what they did to it, but it tasted good. I said, you know what, Dad? My brother said, yeah, Dad, I think it tasted like chicken. Really? Yeah, it tastes a little bit like chicken, right, a little rough on the side, but it's, you know, I felt something in there, but it was good. And my dad and my brother, looked, and my brother said, uh, something's not right here. <laughs> I said, you just had armadillo meat. And my brother was gagging, and I, <laughs> and I got up, and I went to the kitchen. There was a shell of the armadillo on top of the stove. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Lord. Why God could you do this to us? You know what? If, if we had a pet in the Agudelo home, it would end up on, on a plate. My dad was a mercenary farmer. He would kill anything in his path. They grew up in farms. My mother grew up in a farm. Everything that moved, they killed it. That, one day, my dad asked me, Hey, I need you to go get dinner. I said, You want me to go to uh, fry, get some fried chicken? Said, no, no, you see that duck in the backyard? I want you to kill it. And I want you to bring it here. Dad, I can't kill that duck. <laughs> We're animal mercenaries. So, my brothers and I, and my sister, we grew up, every time they fed us, we, we looked at the plate and made sure that it didn't move, <laughs> made sure that it wouldn't attack us. <laughs> But you know what? My father always taught us to do good to other people. Did you know that failing to do good is evil and evil is sin? When the Lord asks you to do something good, we should obey quickly. Or as we say in Spanish, pronto. Or like my dad used to say, muévase, move it, quickly. The Bible says, James 4, 17, therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And this is where the scribes and the Pharisees missed the whole point of the law. So number one, we see that their evil purpose was to test him. They came to test Jesus. These religious leaders grew concerned about Jesus who worked wonders and miracles. And you see, church, they were troubled So much that this Jesus was getting too much attention, and they were not. They were were envious of him. They were jealous of him. They didn't come to worship him. They came to accuse him. So they decided to catch him in something, in him violating the law. And the law was perfect, church. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. It's pure, it's holy. But they misinterpret the law of God in their own way. And number two, we see that the Lord's purpose was to silence them. Jesus asked, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? In Mark 3, we have the same account. And it says that the Pharisees kept silent. They could not answer him. Why? Because they didn't have an answer. They couldn't answer him. Ah, oh, picture yourself there. I would love to see Jesus battle with these religious hypocrites. Oh, man, if you tell him, Jesus, come on, get on him, Jesus. Amen, hallelujah. Picture yourself there at that moment. And here is Jesus' purpose to silence them. People are faced with evil every day, people die every day. If evil and death do not take a rest, why should goodness and life cease on the Sabbath day? That's the argument. If, good and if evil and death does not cease, why should goodness and life cease? Especially on the Sabbath. And the word Sabbath means rest. It doesn't mean the seventh day. It means rest. It fell on the seventh day and the Jewish people had several Sabbaths that fell on different days. But in general, the word Sabbath means rest. It means to cease from working, but not to cease from doing good. Are you with me, church? Jesus is basically saying your rules to these religious leaders and your regulations do not make sense. They don't make sense. Matthew 12, 11, And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? This is what the Pharisees were trying to accuse Jesus of, of doing good on the Sabbath. In our day terms, on a Sunday. It's never wrong to do good on the day of the Lord. In verse seven of Luke chapter six, verse seven says uh, here that, uh, you know, we, we look at verse seven, see how these religious leaders view people, especially those who broke the law. The religious leaders view hurting people as worthless. Why do I say worthless? Because you know, guess who they serve? Jesus told them in John chapter eight, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do his evil desires. You want to do what he tells you to do. You want to do your father's desire. Your father is of the devil. That's what Jesus told them. You, you, your father is the devil. What are you talking about? What father? The devil. That's your father. So if, the, if they're agents of Satan, guess what? They view everybody as worthless except themselves. The religious leaders watched Jesus closely. They viewed the Lord as a lawbreaker. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees were teachers of the law. They had a PhD in theology. They knew about the law, but unfortunately, they added to the law the traditions of men placing heavy burdens on the people. I mean, they added silly rules, like this one. This one rule, for example, on the Sabbath, if you spit on the ground on the Sabbath, Your saliva would mix with dirt, and in doing so, you just made clay. Wow! Talk about evolution. How is that going to build up in in clay? This is how ridiculous this was. So in doing that, you just made clay. That was considered working on the Sabbath. You see, church, God's law was not meant to hurt us. It was meant to bless us. God never wants to hurt us. He wants to bless you. He gives you a law so you won't hurt yourself. If I tell my son, son, don't cross the street, I'm not telling him because I'm hating. I'm telling him because I love him and I don't want him to get hurt without me crossing you, you know, along together uh, crossing the street. In other words, you don't cross the street alone, son. I'm going to cross it with you when they were little, of course. You see, it was meant to bless us. God's law was meant to bless us and not to hurt us. The Sabbath was given to the Jewish people in the Old Testament called the Old Covenant. In Leviticus 23, God says, six days shall you work, but the Sabbath is a Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. No work is to be done. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. So the Sabbath fell on the seventh day. But remember, Sabbath means rest. But the priests worked on the Sabbath. That's work. But they were doing good. They had to work hard all day. If you studied what a priest did in the temple in the old days, boy, you'd be like, oh, I'm glad I'm not living in those days. That was work. For example, uh, let's talk about circumcision. If you had to circumcise your son, it had to be done on the eighth day after the child's birth. And they had to do it even if it failed on the Sabbath. Why why circumcise a child on the eighth day after his birth? Because you see, God is so good. First of all, God commanded it. And God commanded circumcision to be done on the day. Because if God would have com- commanded circumcision to be done on the fifth day or the sixth day, the child would have bled to death. You see, the blood would not clot because vitamin K does not begin to work or to kick in until the eighth day. Isn't God awesome? He's perfect. And so circumcision was done on the eighth day after the child's birth. Now, circumcision was not exempt even if it had to be done on the Sabbath. Amen? Isn't God awesome? He is perfect. He knows it all. He created it all. He knows how it works. And so if that was done by the priest, that was considered work. But but it wasn't wrong. It was a commandment of the Lord. Did you know that every Christian keeps the Sabbath? <clears throat> Brother Joe, how could you say that? Yeah. We keep the Sabbath. You see, Jesus is our Sabbath. Amen, are you with me? Follow me now. Jesus is our Sabbath. And every day we are in, our, uh, we are in rest in him. Because if Jesus lives in you and you are in Christ, guess what? You are living an eternal Sabbath because Jesus Christ is your Sabbath. It's no longer one day a week, it's every day. Every day you rest in the Lord. He is our Sabbath, amen? He is our Sabbath. We are at rest with the Lord. We don't have to work to be saved. Some religions, even in our day, they teach you gotta do all this stuff to be saved. We don't have to do that, or we don't have to keep the whole law which we could never do in the first place. You know, we talked about this uh, back in the series in Galatians, where the, where the religious leaders enforce all these rules. We don't have... Uh, you know, a lady asked me, like that, you, know, uh, you know, Joe, you can't lose your salvation. Really? How's that? Well, you know, uh, if you sin and you do it, you, you'll lose your salvation. Really? mm mm-hmm. So how do you know when you lose it? Uh, so do you wake up in the morning, and you say, oh, I'm not saved. Is that how it works? I don't understand how it works. You see, because I'm in Christ, Christ is in me. And Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Every law that I broke, he fulfilled. And he forgave me of it. He nailed it to the cross. Hallelujah, church, come. Follow me now. You see, I'm in Christ, I can never lose. Because he said, you shall have eternal life. Do you know what eternal means? It means eternal. It means you cannot lose what you never could gain on your own. It's a gift. And God never takes this gift from you. It's a gift that will go with you through eternity. Are you with me, church? Well, <laughs> get into the word. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm in Christ, he's in me, and Christ is in the Father's hand. And whoever God gives to the Father and God gave to the Son, the Bible says he'll never lose any of them. We are all his sheep. Amen? We can never lose what we can never gain on our own. It's the gift of God. Okay, moving on. Love you, church. (laughs) You see, these religious leaders place many burdens on the people. Again, these rules, these laws, you got to do that. Oh, you broke the law. They didn't care about people who were sick or hurting. They had no compassion or love for the people and no love for Jesus, the Messiah. You see, church, it has been said before that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And Jesus here is healing people. But these religious leaders who were self-righteous with hard hearts only cared about themselves. It is hard to believe that these religious hypocrites placed more emphasis on enforcing the law that they never fully could obey than the miracle that was done by the compassionate and loving Messiah, Jesus Christ. You see, there are many religious groups today that they place burdens and rules upon people, preventing them from God's miracles and God's best for their lives. These Pharisees were hypocrites because they would not rest, they would themselves, that's why Jesus mentioned the sheep, they would themselves rescue a sheep on the Sabbath. So Jesus places a high value on humanity. Listen, in our society, there is more care for an animal than an unborn being, human being. People will stop their vehicles for a duck crossing, but yet they commit murder when it becomes road rage on the highway. Our priorities are all backwards, it's all wrong. You see, we can watch Jesus. We can spy and look at him closely, but if our hearts are far from him, we will have hard hearts like those religious leaders, amen? Verse 9 of Luke 6, the Lord places a high value on life. Stretch out your hand. He's looking at this man now. And Jesus commanded the man to stretch out your hand. He commanded the man to do something impossible. Remember, he has a withered hand. You know, if you remember a couple of years ago, I had an injury in my arm. I was walking around with a sling, you know. And... Uh, it happened at work and uh, the doctor said, we need to operate like in two weeks. I said, can you operate me now? Because I need this arm. I mean, I couldn't, my wrist, it shriveled. I couldn't use my wrist. I had tore a tendon in my elbow and bicep area. I ripped it. It had to be, you know, stitched back together. And the doctor said, we need to do it quickly. And so I said, you know, like Rocky said, cut me up, man, cut me up. So I said, cut me up now. <laughs> I said, we're going to, it during the holidays, by the way. And so, uh, he says, if we don't do it in two weeks, your arm will begin to uh, use, uh, you, you'll lose the use of your arm at least about 80%, from 60 to 80%. In other words, you will only have 40% use of your arm. And so they operated on me. And I tell you, after the operation, the, the pain where I had the most was in the wrist area, not in the area where the, where the injury occurred. And I said, Doc, but you know, my, I can't even move my wrist. Look, I can't even bend my fingers. I go, you see, is that we reattach everything. the arm is such, and the hand is such a complex part of the body. You know, and I'm right-handed. So I said, give it time, it'll work. I said, I'm praying for a miracle. I need it to work like in two weeks. It's going to be about a year with therapy. Oh, Lord, help me. So I was at home. I couldn't work. And so, you know, I love to eat. You know, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. But I work, and I love to eat. (laughs) And it shows. And anyway, so... (laughs) So I'm at home, my wife's away from the house, my children are at school, and, and here I'm, I'm hungry, so I get a piece of toast and I put it on the plate in the island area of our, our kitchen, and I'm trying to, I can't use this hand, so I'm not really good with my left hand, so I'm trying to put butter on this bread, and, and as I'm doing it, I'm putting the elbow on the plate, and uh, I mean, this is, this is unbelievable. And so I, I finally get the butter, and this is taking, now, it's 30 minutes here, okay, putting butter on the bread. And so I'm putting butter on the bread, and all of a sudden, whoosh, it goes off like a Frisbee. I said, Lord, you got to do better than I. I need this arb healed quickly, you know. <laughs> a poor wife had to help me in everything. I-, I, mean, I couldn't mow the lawn. I couldn't do anything. Of course, my boys helped me out, thank God. But, you know, I'm telling you, picture yourself with that kind of uh, injury. You can't use your hand, and you're right handed. Boy, you just can't do a thing. You're totally paralyzed. And that's what this man is going through. So imagine Jesus asking me, hey, Joe, just stretch out your hand. can't, Lord, it hurts. Stretch it. And that's what this man's going through. He can't stretch a withered hand but God is commanding him to do it. And when God commands you to do something, do it, church, because a miracle's coming your way. Amen. Amen. And so he commanded the man to do something impossible in his current condition. But Jesus gave both the command and the ability to fulfill it. And the man put forth the effort and was healed. And of course, the Pharisees are filled with rage now, but you know what, Jesus didn't even touch him. See, how could they accuse him of doing work on the Sabbath if he didn't even touch him? He told the man, stretch your hand, boom, done, healed. What you got on me? (laughs) Did I work, did I move my hands? What What do you have on me? You got nothing on me. Isn't the Lord awesome? Let me tell you something, church. The Pharisees were plotting after this to kill Jesus, okay? Which was far greater a violation than the healing of this man's hand. They were about to commit murder. Let's see. Let's weigh it here. Murder, healing. Uh, you, do, you do the numbers. The Lord places high value on life because he created you in his image. He loves you and he cares for you. Psalms 139 says, For you formed me in my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Whenever you feel down upon yourself, the way you feel, the way you think, the way you look, go back to Psalms 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, God stitched you in the womb of your mother, He put you together. And if he stitched you and puts you together, he can restore you as well in the name of Jesus. As I was starting this passage for this message, I was thinking about the Pharisees. I'm like, Lord, why didn't they have leprosy? Why weren't they the ones with a withered hand? Come on, Lord. Why? They don't look sick at all. But the Lord showed me in the scriptures, but they were sick. They were spiritually sick. They were full of leprosy, of sin. They were spiritual blind guides. They were spiritually wicked and sick. Yes, and they had hard hearts. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia defines wither as to fade away, to be dried up, to lack moisture. This is the condition of a hard heart. The ground is so dried up, you cannot sow a seed. In a dry, rocky heart, amen. Moisture needs to settle in so that the seed of the Word of God can take root and grow. Follow me, church. You either have a hard heart or you have a heart that's full of compassion and love. That's moisture. The Lord heals a man's withered hand with a command. And looking around them at all, for he knew their thoughts. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said to him, Stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored. Amen. Oh, God is so great. Amen. Listen, church, you can buy self help books on marriage, self image addictions, some of them are good books. I'm not saying don't read them. But when you get into the Word of God, church, right here, when you get into this book, this is not a self-help book. This is God helping you. This is God saying, I can heal you by the power of my Word. Amen? So number one, church, you can find true rest only in the Lord when you respond to his calling. Only in the Lord can you find true rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Eternal rest. You can rest in the Lord anytime. He's your Sabbath. So when people ask you, do you observe the Sabbath? Oh, yeah, every day, every hour. Because I'm in Christ. I'm resting in Christ. I have entered, as Hebrews says, I have entered into his rest. Hallelujah. Number two, you can, C-A-N, be restored by faith in the healing power of Jesus Christ. This man did not say, "Oh Lord, I don't think I can stretch my hand. Stretch it. Come forward. Get up. Stretch it. Can you imagine that? I'm seeing this. Stretching out his hand. And it was totally restored. Oh, Lord, praise you. God. Hallelujah. And never say that the Lord can't. Well, if, you know, if the Lord can, a man who had a son, now this is in Mark chapter 9, a man who had a son who had a possessed son came to Jesus for healing. Uh, if you remember reading this, he came to Jesus as Lord. Uh, I brought my son to your disciples, they couldn't cast a demon out of him and he throws himself here and he, you know, he's been doing this since he was a child. And Jesus, oh, you perverse and faithless generation. Just bring the boy to me. And boom, Jesus heals him. But before that, the father says, I'll bring him to you, if you can heal him, if you can. Can you imagine telling the Lord, if you can? And the Bible says Jesus responded with, if you can, excuse me. All things are possible to those who believe. That's what Jesus told the man. Jeremiah 32, 27, behold, listen, pay attention, look to the Lord, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, is anything too difficult for me? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? That's what Jeremiah says. If I can have the praise and worship team up here, and I'm gonna tell you, church, God can restore any area of your life. There is nothing too difficult for the Lord. As I've heard of testimon- testimonies over the, over the past weeks about the healing of cancer and all these other things, God is still a miracle worker. Maybe you're here today and your life is withered up, paralyzed, like this man's withered hand. Maybe your faith has withered up because of some teaching that taught you that you have to follow these rules, and now you're all messed up. Your faith is trampled on. God wants to restore you. Maybe it's your marriage. The joy is gone. The, hap- the bitterness has settled in. Happiness is gone. God can restore your marriage. Maybe you have an addiction, and it has consumed you. Drugs or alcohol or pornography, these things have consumed you physically and you're walking with guilt and shame, and you can't walk with the Lord because you feel guilty, God can forgive you, and he can restore you. Amen. Would you stand? Can I have the prayer team up? Thank you. At the end. If you're here this morning, you're like this man who... He's been hiding his withered hand underneath his clothing. Maybe nobody noticed it, but God noticed it. You may say, Brother Joe, I've been going off for prayer. I haven't seen any restoration or any healing take place. You keep coming. The Bible says keep asking. Keep knocking. Knock until you get an answer. You see, God means business with you if you mean business with him. So if you're here this morning and you need prayer. Like Jesus told this man, get up, come forward, and stretch out your witherness. You come, church. Don't let doubt, fear, and the enemy hold you back. i just want to sit here at your feet i'm caught up in this holy moment i never want to leave oh i'm not here for blessing Says you don't know me anything oh, more than anything that you can do. I just want you. Oh, I'm sorry when I just got Emotions. Oh, I'm sorry when I just sing another song Oh, take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you Can we lift up our hands, church? Oh, I'm sorry when I call with my agenda I'm sorry when I forgot the year enough will oh, take me back to when we started I open up my heart to you one you nothing else oh nothing else nothing